there's going to be a bunch of SMS companies shipping a whole bunch of really, really bad AI features. They're just going to stick chat. They're, they're going to stick GBT inside their product to do back and forth and to write content. And it's going to be unrefined and it's going to be premature and it's going to be really bad. And I can't wait. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of You Are Not Your Rise, coming to you in person live. We flew him out. Well, we didn't fly him out. But to be fair, he was here and he's, how am I not going to get a podcast with this guy? The man, the myth, the legend, the SMS slinger himself, Alex Belly. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It is great to be here. I took just, a plane, but it was nothing. Just right. This is this is movie star stuff. Right off the plane into the podcast. Uh-huh. That's how we do it. Unbelievable. Um, when did we first, we first met? What the LA dinner was that our first? We kind of known each other peripherally, but then we finally bumped into each other in real life. I've certainly known who you are oh my in the gosh, space for, for up multiple years, but we finally met earlier this year uh, in LA. Yeah, I grow LA at that dinner, which great, which great we dinner. blew out, yeah. which the postscript and triple world teams absolutely blew out. Crushed it, crushed it. Um, co-founder, president, postscript, amazing SMS platform. Before we get into all that. Where did you start? What was your first foray into entrepreneurship? Uh, this is not a story that I usually tell. Oh, look, see people. Okay. This is why All you right. tune you in. Went right for it. My first foray into entrepreneurship um, of note was uh, when I dropped out of school. Let's go. So I uh, I was in LA. Yeah. I was going to school as as a as a young man does. As you do. Um, and I was underperforming. Let's just say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I wasn't even doing it with style. Some people underperform with style. There there was nothing to it. And uh, I was working in the music business at the time. Interesting. And uh, the music business was getting just absolutely destroyed by the internet. And that made me really interested in the internet and really interested in startups. And so I ended up uh, applying for uh, this internship at this startup called Stack Commerce out in Venice Beach. Um bunch of people have kind of come from it and uh they gave me an internship there we and go. i dropped out of school and i went to work and uh never went back never finished the degree but this little startup i joined it was an e-commerce business yep and i was probably the like fourth or fifth person to join initially as an intern then full-time and stayed there for six years and we grew to bunch and uh to about like 80 people about 80 million dollars a year in revenue and and uh the founder sold it a couple of years ago so that was like following that ride was and having like my hands super in the weeds on yep. like Google Analytics and campaign optimization and like all the good stuff of the early 2010s was my entrance to entrepreneurship, my entrance to e-com. That's where it started. How interesting. Was it challenging? Did you get a lot of sh- or because I had that same I, I, I didn't end, end, up, end up dropping out, but I had that same kind of underperformance type of thing where it was like and I don't think. And obviously, like, you're not lazy, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it was more so like a function of purpose. Like, I hadn't really bit onto something that had really excited me until, to your point, I found uh, Facebook ads. I used to be super nerdy. I used to build websites, do AWS, photography, like, all this stuff. And then the Facebook ads was like this Cambrian explosion. Like, you put $1 in, I get 6 out. Like, let's put as many dollars in as possible. So how does that happen? And then you go from, so crushing it, uni, not really in your thing, move to this, do well there, 
and then it was postscript or you have some intermediary yeah so like you're saying was struggling with the purpose side of things yep um and was blaming the world instead of like instead of myself sure. for like for the struggles yeah and was also confused because i didn't think that i was lazy and i didn't think that i was dumb but the results pointed to both of those things being true uh and i just thought like okay i need to put myself in a situation where i can actually like not be like writing essays but like actually like creating work. yes oh i love like, that like actual like doing something that has purpose trying to build something yes and uh i was lucky enough to find my way into this like super entrepreneurial environment that was relatively intense that company that i was at stack commerce but uh and i worked for a ceo who i'm so close to he was like quite demanding at times and definitely pushed us but um it was a meritocracy yeah. in terms of like I rose there a ton and I got exposure to do things that were way outside my pay grade and scope and experience because I was like pushing and working hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, that was an amazing experience. Um, and so as that, uh, I was there for five, six years and I tried like little startups of my own along the way too on the side, all complete failures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the beautiful, the beautiful flame outs. Um, and along the way, I was really one of the up and comers on the on the business and marketing side of things, doing a lot of partnerships, doing a lot of marketing. And I became friends with uh, someone who joined the business who was a data analyst and then very quickly became a product manager and then like our lead product manager, super talented, really, really young. And he was like the shining star on the tech side. Okay. And we became friends. And uh, that person is Adam Turner, who's my co-founder and our CEO. No way. And uh, he came to me as I was transitioning out because I said, you know what? I want to go consult. I want to... I want to have freedom. I want to travel around. And so I put in my notice and I was going to consult for a bunch of different companies. And I started taking some time off. And really quickly, what I realized is that it wasn't freedom that I wanted. I wanted to build my own thing. Yeah. And so Adam came to me and him and his brother, they'd uh, started different things that failed as well. They started one uh, mobile gaming company that had like ramped to a couple hundred thousand users. And, but they didn't know how to monetize it. It fell apart. Yep. And, uh, and through the years, we'd both like separately applied to YC and no one had gotten in. And they came to me and they said, hey, we're hacking on this idea. Uh, we have a friend who runs a business on Shopify, which we were not a part of that ecosystem yep. at all. Yep. He said, runs business on Shopify. He's complaining that he doesn't have a way to text his customers. Yep. And so we're hacking together this little, little app. It'll plug into Shopify. Like you should check it out. And so I took a look at it and this was, we were, they were just starting to write code and, uh, the three of us started working on it together and I started bringing in some customers and uh, we launched and absolutely nothing happened. No one installed. We had no money. It was beautiful. Uh, but then maybe a couple of days later, someone installed the app and oh my gosh. paid us 50 bucks a month. And maybe a couple of weeks later, it was $200 a month and then Let's $800 a go. month. And really quickly, it started to grow. And we applied to Y Combinator, which is a whole other story. We ended up getting in. And we quit our jobs and have been full-time on PostScript ever since. Wow. That is so fascinating. So you have, so would you consider yourself the, the technical co-founder or is that going to that's be Adam? That's, no, gonna that's, be Adam. that's Adam. Okay. We have a, we have a kind of a unique distribution of roles. It works really yeah. well for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have two co-founders, Adam and his brother, Colin. Okay. Adam is our CEO. Yep. Adam runs product design and engineering. Yep. Adam also oversees finances. He does our fundraising. Amazing. Um, Colin's our COO. Yep. Colin's kind of our secret weapon. Yep. Uh, 
Colin runs all kinds of stuff right now. He's building our second product. Yep. And um, he originally built the front end of the application, and I run wow. the go-to-market organization. Wow, that's amazing. And how big are you guys now? What's your headcount? Uh, around 220. No way. Yeah. Wow. Take me a little bit through that uh, transition, because that's something we're going through here at Triple as well, where something I've found paradoxical, and you know it's true, it's just, again, paradoxical, where like more headcount doesn't necessarily mean more productivity. So how are you, because you guys are also distributed, correct? We are. Fully. So how are you taking the team of three, five, seven, ten to 200 plus? More headcount does not necessarily equal more productivity. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, you know, the answer is in starts and fits. Um, something I reflect on a lot is that our role as founders and my role as a founder has changed dramatically with each company stage. You joined Triple pretty early, right? Super early. What what number? Uh, ish. Ish, I mean, within the first 10. And now yeah. it's over 100, right? Oh, uh, we're almost, yeah, we're like a buck 50, okay. one, 170 yeah. something. You've seen all the stages I'm going to talk about, right? Like the roles, the roles and dynamics, all that stuff changes like crazy. Crazy. Um, so for us, we were remote from the start. We started off in that like family environment where it's like 10 people. Um, we're lucky a handful of them are still on the team today, which is super cool. And, you know, slowly we, you know, got up to maybe around 20, 25. Then all of a sudden it was 50. Yeah. And at 50, things really changed. And the having personal deep relationships with everyone at the company, that went away. Possible, yeah. And uh, then we scaled really quickly from there to around like 150. 200 and then we slowed down over the last year a lot and right now our headcount growth is picking back up again but um you know just with the market changing we we slowed things down last year but uh getting good at each stage i think is like a one of the biggest challenges of entrepreneurship for for me thus far because the like skills that you need to be a good operator with each stage look so different like so well put early on it is the grind right and doing everything yourself um and really honing whatever motion you're working on right then i mean i saw you do that on the community side of things like uh, incredibly right but then now even though it's still about the grind it's always it's always the grind like it's much more about can i recruit a team of leaders that are going to go recruit and like their outstanding teams and then can i like support them and try to align their goals and that requires much less like moment to moment action for me and way more patience and way more focus on like organization wide communication. And that's a very different, that's a very different set of skills than when I was trying to take 15 demo calls a day. So man, you are, I'm like having like PTSD flashbacks. You're absolutely right. And there's a certain aspect to one of the things that we realized, cause we, we did kind of like a, a blitz scale and then these people were incredible. The pedigrees are great. But the challenge was we didn't have a lot of SOPs and procedures in place. And one that works at A, the lower levels, because it's just, you know, we're going to figure it out. We're a tribe. Right. B, generalist, you can kind of just throw them a spear, say, like, go hunt, figure it out. Specialists, like, I don't know if you, it sounds like pejorative, they need to be managed. It's not necessarily they need to be managed, but they, like, need a lot of direction. They lean more hands-on stuff. They need procedures. They need, like, I only send emails, bro. You know what I mean? Like, well, I need you to go jump on this or I need you to go jump on this. And it, it's not that they're necessarily don't want to do it. 
it's just that's the whole point why you hired them is sure. that you escalate into these specialists. But we found that when we first scaled with headcount, there was a culture fit in that because these people came from these bigger orgs that had all these processes in place, that had all these things in place. And there was this kind of uh, productivity hole, if you will, because everybody else was so still in that generalist mindset. And so yeah. I think it's not only the people, but the culture that you're cultivating as well. And the other thing is, it's going to be interesting to get your take on this. We have essentially three hubs. So we have Austin, we have Columbus is the proper HQ where AJ and Max sit out of, and then we have all our Devon engineering out of Jerusalem. And keeping that like culture and connectivity, man, it's really hard. And to your point, and I'll stop rambling here, that was one of the challenges as the company grew where I really enjoyed running like a six to eight person team, a bunch of killers and like, let's get it done. And like for the majority of my tenure, it was just crush, build, crush, grow, build. Sure. And then you start to get in like, like if you saw my calendar, I mean, your calendar is probably egregious too, but like my calendar That's, was- It's gross. Yeah. But I bet we, I bet we both have disgusting calendars. It, it was, dude, I didn't have time to use the restaurant. <laughs> I'm just back to back to back, yeah. eight to six, eight to seven. I'm on Central, so all the bosses are on Eastern, so they're already ahead of me. The Israel team is dev, so they're eight hours ahead. So you just had this like deluge of stuff. And it was just so interesting because I always, I always had that thought, like the team captain needs to be the best player. And I've realized like that's so wrong, where it's like sometimes you just want your best player to go play and concentrate on being the best player. And there's leaders that are really good leaders yeah. slash managers. And that was something that, I'd always looked down upon, but to your point, like being able to plug in a leader that can put in procedures that can then hire up a team to then produce, man, it's so hard to find those people. It's so hard to find those people. And they're usually totally. taken. They're usually so, taken. So like the immediacy is not there, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds great. But I'm either a VP or a C-suite or something. So I sure. need a couple months to spend down my role. I can't yeah. just leave tomorrow. And then, um, so how, how did you guys like hire on vibe or like, how did you build these people up? Because- I think you're right. Like that 50 person number, it sounds like cheesy because it's just so perfect, but that's when things, the, the wheels start to shake a little bit to your point of like, I can't just yell in a room and everybody's aligned. No. Uh, a couple things were interesting in our journey that we got right or got wrong or got lucky or unlucky with that stand out. So one is we've been fully remote from the start. Yep. And in the early days, that was easy. Yep. Now it's more challenging. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge. It requires a ton of energy and effort. Yep. But everyone's on equal playing yep. field. Yep. And so even though it's hard to not have everyone in a room, yeah. no one's in a room. Yep. And so since the beginning, the company's gotten comfortable with like asynchronous communication. We do a lot of looms. People do written updates. They Meeting recordings get sent out. Yep. And if someone isn't live, our culture just like tolerates and absorbs that. Yeah. Which I think helps with like, you know, different teams getting scaled out differently. Totally with you. The uh, the other thing that has only gotten more intense for us is like, uh, and, and actually our like people and HR team yep. takes lead on this, is tops down communication. Yes. We like, we have, we're now very good at cascading communications. Like this team gets updated and then this team gets updated and then the whole company gets updated on like regular cadences about X, Y, Z. And so... Uh, we just did our company kickoff a couple days ago, and it was like an incredibly fun three-hour event, very well orchestrated, where it was themed like 
Coachella. Our Let's mascot, go. Our, our mascot's Bub, so it was called Bubchella. But um, and so I was in a bucket hat. But uh, as you do, as as one does. But um, the point is like we've gotten a really good cadence with like cross company communications, like yeah, weekly, so quarterly, holding us holding everyone tight on goals, reflection, etc. But the bigger thing that stands out about what you were saying, and, and as I reflect, is like this is a cliche, but I do find that like the the most successful hires at Postscript are like better than us at their thing. Hundred percent, right? Um, and you know, I'm probably like pretty dangerous in certain arenas. Yeah. Adam's a really dangerous engineer and like yeah. product leader. Colin is extremely dangerous, but um. When I think about the like leaders that we're like lucky to have assembled, you know, Mike, who's somewhere outside, yeah. he's our CMO. Love Mike. I tried to recruit Mike to be our second hire. We Interesting. Tra- and Mike smartly, very smartly, was like, "This is way too early for me." Right? It's like he's like, "This isn't my stage." And I love we, that. We really want to hire Mike to lead marketing as our as our second hire years ago, and but we stayed close and we stayed yep. in touch yep. and. uh it took a few years, but after a couple of years, Mike decided to join a CMO when we were at around 50 people and when yep. there was, you know, eight figures in ARR yep. and when like there was, the pitch was figured out and the product was sticky and we were like later stage because now we're in, you know, his sweet spot as yep. an operator. Yep. And so like, I don't necessarily think that, I think it's okay. And something I try to talk about at Postscript is that like in a fast changing startup, the only thing that's inevitable is change. And so it's okay if like your job maybe morphs into something that isn't yep. your strengths or if you don't love anymore, like that's okay because this journey is going to be crazy and it's going to continue to evolve. And like, you're going to be able to lean into certain strengths of yours at different times. Yep. And like, there's just going to be a lot of change. And if you can learn to embrace that change, it's going to make the ride much more comfortable. And so like when I think about leadership recruitment, like you were saying, like you were saying, and like building the exact team, building the leadership team, um, you know, oftentimes there's folks who can scale really, really well across stages, which is amazing. Yeah. And oftentimes there's, uh, you know, people have a sweet spot that they prefer to operate in. I think that's something that I didn't get. And that's definitely, I was that, that guy where it was just like, I had no desire in running a 300-person marketing team or 150-person marketing team. I, well, because to your you, point- You like being the captain of the pirate ship. I love having just the SEAL Team 6 of like, let's yes. move mountains. Don't tell me how to do it. Just tell me what you need when you need it. Yes. And let's run. And like that, the autonomy, the freedom, the creativity, the building is really what gets me. Like that's where I really want to go. And there's also, you know, as you grow up, dude, there's just- more guardrails that get thrown on. Like, that's why if you look at like all the big B2B CMO SaaS people, they're like, you know, for lack of a better word, these nerdy quants, like all there is lead velocity, MQLs, SQLs, what are we doing here? There's nobody like really having fun or like, it's it's because it gets to a place of like almost formulaic Uh and it's just like, okay, cool. Well, if I dump this much site traffic in and if I look at these conversion rates per channel, and it starts to become like these mathematics, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. And like, again, that's what you need at a big, big company. But that for me was, so I'd set up my week every Sunday and I would just set my week up. I'm, I'm, I'm like building my torture chamber. Like none of this stuff gets me because it was politics. It's meetings. It's all these things of like, 
I, I got away from like, to your point, the things that really fired me up and, and it's not necessarily like I was bad at them, but I really think that people do their greatest work when they're, what they're really, really awesome about or what they are really good at, passionate about, and then they can push forward those business objectives. Cause totally. that's one of the challenges too in that fast paced growth is how do I not only allocate my resources, but how do I measure success? Because it's this ever changing, especially in those like really, really early stages before you start to get into these more like step changes where it's like, okay, yep. cool, new product. Now we're here. now. But when you're really getting into that PMF, like you're saying, you know, eight figures and stuff like that, it's like real money. But now you're like, okay, cool. Where's the growth come from? And I think that was something that I almost think of like an evolution of a human, right? Whereas you're in this baby phase and you're finally in this like, and we were like in this adolescent phase, like having fun, but at the same time there needed to be this, like we need to grow up and, or especially too, cause it's what the founders, like it's their boat, they get to drive it and they want to be this massive company, which is awesome. But that just has different input success vectors. Yes. And to your point, like it changes roles, right? Like, and so that's one of the things that was really fascinating to me. It was very eloquently articulated because that was something that I experienced firsthand and AJ and Max have been amazing. They're, they're amazing leaders, but that was something that was really interesting because you have this like championship team, but now you're in like either a different league or it's like a different game or something. It's like totally that current configuration might not be the configuration that gets you to the next, you know, next milestone of the company. I'll, I'll tell you, and I don't actually, I know they wouldn't mind. They, they don't care about this. And so I'll, I'll tell you something from within our like founder dynamics. Yeah, yeah. So um, I feel I feel one of the things I love most about my job is the fact that like we're now five years in and like me and Adam and Colin are still like full time 100% yep. in the business running the company. Yep. Which is like now you didn't used to, but now you get comments from investors where they're like, that's kind of rare. Yep. Like it's rare to still have all the co-founders in. And um, but our roles have changed over time. And at times we've had to give each other hard feedback about like growth areas for one another. Or um, another thing that comes to mind is like uh, between us at different times, maybe we've like pulled back from more of like scaled management versus like being an IC focus, which yes. was really fun in the founder days. But then you like find yourself back to it maybe and you've grown a little bit and you're ready for it or you're like, you have more of an appetite for that like challenge that before didn't feel like fit for your skills. And so, um, it's just company building is super interesting. It's like one of the most stimulating, uh, never solved things that there is. An unparalleled high, man. It's, it's kind of what you were talking about when that first person signs up and the next 10 people sign up, like people actually want this. Like people, what? It's Let's crazy. Go. It's, uh, something that's really fun for me is in postscript is that like, and you're in the same situation. We now work serving people that we used to be. Yes. Right. Uh, and so like, it's interesting for me to watch, especially like, you know, the Twitter sphere that we both inhabit because like, um, I try to like stay off the pedestal. Yeah. I'll like, I'll get, I'll get up on there when it comes to SMS a little bit, but like for a long time I was an e-commerce marketer. Yeah. And so I have a lot of empathy for and a lot of care for e-commerce entrepreneurs and marketers. And I like know a bit about it. I've like logged my time yep. in the dashboard. Yeah. Um, and it's super interesting how it feels like sometimes in our space, it's like a bit more about who's shouting loudest than like who's right. 
and like the amount of the amount of like pontification that'll happen from people who've never actually been in seat is super uh a little nauseating at times but i say that just because uh even though that's like the dark side of it the bright side of it is that like i spent six years in the e-commerce marketer yep. and now i get to work for marketers yep. and that's pretty fun that's that was always my little joke where um like we were just out at shop talk and again nothing wrong with that thing it's just like my nightmare feel like walking the floor and stuff like that. i was like oh my gosh this is just it's to your you're, point of like the changing no, no, rules no. and stuff you're, you're for the wallies you're not for yeah. the like yeah yeah no you're not has for the a, like extra corporate if it has a booth at it bro i'm out <laughs> okay. like, it's just not my vibe but wanting to put a presence there see as we grow blah 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 but yeah it's just fascinating as you as you grow and the other cool thing is or sorry the point i was making was that one of the coolest parts when i was cmo was that I had this, like, again, joke about it with this B2B SaaS daddy money, right? Like, we have these incredible economics that yeah. like, D2C brand couldn't throw the whaleys. Like, it was sure. just, there's, there's no ROI. Like, it would be so hard to back into it. For us, it was so worth it. And so, and then I get to hang out with the coolest people because I think D2C operators are, are the coolest because not only are they totally. either A, using their own money, but they're also, there's this um, almost rabid conviction of how can I make this thing better? Versus you get complete, like in big companies, you can hide. It just is what it is. Dude, e-commerce entrepreneurship is one of the rawest forms of entrepreneurship. Oh, so well put. And also it is, to your point, it's very like improvement focused. Yep. And like, no matter what happens on social media, what I've found is that like in person or in live private interactions, the vast majority of it is pretty positive. Oh, it's so And positive. like very like supporting one another and like knowledge sharing based, which I think is just, is fundamentally cool. You don't see that in many industries. No, you don't. Uh, no, that's spot on. I, yeah, to your point, I think that's, there is definitely a little cabal of like really awesome people. And that's the other thing too is there's definitely a loud minority of like douches sometimes, but for the most part, I think D2C is decent in the sense of like people try and pay it forward and stuff. If you can find totally. the right people, it can be a really uh, engrossing group. But you, uh, you know, you said something to me when we met that, uh, has been stuck in my brain ever since. Oh, look at this memory because burn. It, because it kind of... Can we curse on here? Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. It me up a little bit. So, PostScript has been around longer than, than Triple. Yep. Um, and I like to think of myself as like a community-minded yep. person. 100%. And I think a lot of PostScript's approach has been like fostering word of mouth by yep. being, by like signing our values and yep. by like engaging in the community. Um. But you said something to me when we met that you were like, look, I have this vision and this aspiration where like people sign up for Triple Whale, yeah. 50% because of the product and the value they get from the product yeah. and 50% because of the community and the value they get from the community. And that's a pretty, like we're both in B2B SaaS now. That's a pretty audacious claim for a SaaS marketer to say in a good way. And it, it messed me up because I think of myself uh, and I think of PostScript, I'm super proud of PostScript for how much we are there for our customers and, and we obsess about customer support and all that stuff. And we try to be very ethically grounded, but like I'd never aspired to that level of like community anchoring. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just been in my mind ever since because, um, I think it was like raising the bar a little bit. And I don't, I don't think most, most of B2B operates within that world, but I think it's totally possible. I do too, man. I think that's one of the things that we really showed people that it can be a pathway to profitability. 
the other thing that I was trying to do was kind of in that same vein where I wanted to, people to think of us not as a subscription, but as a membership. Because it's a subscription, there's nothing wrong with them, but it's this kind of cold transactional relationship. You do a thing for me, I give you money every month, everybody's happy. A membership is something you're part of. A membership is something you don't want to cancel. A membership is something like, dude, I get this, I get that, I get access to events, I get access to weird merch, webinars, all these things. And then you start to put it in like a totality of value. Then the the, the monthly membership price doesn't really seem as aggressive when you start to add these things. Because that was the other thing is like, at our price point, we really need to, you know, stack as many things as we can in there as well. And just by the very nature of it, I think that our product is very, not really explicitly collaborative, but like there's a lot of collaboration around it because to your point, man, marketing, especially D2C marketing, it's so hard, especially with the the headwinds that we faced, all the changes and stuff. And so there's a certain aspect of just being in there with homies and homieettes of like, that man, it really happens. And like candidly too, when people like you, dude, they churn less. They'll they'll tell you about product stuff like in a non-public forum. Like there's just all these benefits. The only caveat I would say, and I think this is why a lot of B two B SaaS companies don't go down this pathway. You need to build these relationships with sincere intentions. That's that's exactly. I don't think they have the capacity to. They do not. That's that that's to me, anyways, the the silver bullet there because people like. You you almost it's almost like a a sketchy salesperson where it's like oh you're actually selling me let me let me take off this mask where it's like so many of the things that we planned in the community were so basically like not net acquisition it was just dude how can we generate a bunch of value for these people that you know then we'll build in some reciprocity for them either to take the like our demos exploded with the whaleys like there is real business impact when you have community but. To be fair, I think the challenge is community and content are really hard and they are more of an exponential than a linear. And so that first month to three months to like, the first thing I started at Triple was a newsletter and a podcast. Like those are the things we needed to get out the door, get out the door, get out the door. And you know, the first, you know, again, three months or something like here is a crazy stat in 2022 Jan 1. So the very beginning of last year, we had something like, what I have 5,000 opens or something, 3,000 opens in whale mail. And the last whale mail of the year is almost 45,000. Wow. And so, but again, like it, it, this was off the back of like three months of like me literally writing a newsletter every day, making sure it goes out every Tuesday, Thursday, making sure that the content was there. Cause that's the other thing is if you're going to build a sincere relationship and you're going to have this implicit social contract of like, hey, dude, if I'm letting you in my inbox and I'm giving you time, it needs to be valuable. It has to be good. And so to your point, I think that was one of the things that AJ and Max really hit on the head with bringing me in was it was much easier to drop a D2C operator and then let him figure out B2B SaaS than taking a B2B SaaS operator and having him or her try and penetrate the D2C community. Because Again, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And there's, the, like, sometimes it's just fun to jam over battle scars, right? Or it's just like, fuck, dude, I, I, we had we had so many just crazy <laughs> agency days and all this stuff. But, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate that. But I think that was, community content and education were the big three pillars for us. And it it really helped, helped you know, bolster everything. The other thing, community is almost, like, organic for D2C. We're just 
everything's better. Sure. Everything gets better when you launch stuff, when you do stuff, but it's hard. It was my first hire as head of community. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to circle back a little bit just for personal interest. Tell me a little bit about how you goal set. Are you guys OKRs? Like, how do you guys kind of align people? And tell me a little bit about this cascade of information, because I'm very interested in that as well. Uh, we do not do OKRs. Oof. We've pillaged for that. But. We've like, you know, tried OKRs a couple times. I've been at so many companies that have tried OKRs. I am of the believer of the conspiracy theory that uh, Google like rolled out OKRs to like mess with every other That's company out there. So- um, just I'm, because Andy Grove could do it at Intel, who is this like generational leader, yeah. and now it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to work for you. I, they, they seem crazy to me. Consumers are 35 times more likely to read a text message from your brand than an email. 35 times more eyeballs means 35 times more opportunities to sell more stuff. At Postscript, all we do is SMS. And we've built the only SMS revenue platform for Shopify e-commerce stores to make this their number one revenue channel. Give your brand everything it needs to build a thriving SMS revenue strategy, including built-in compliance and a support team guiding you every step of the way. Quickly grow your list of subscribers using our pop-ups, checkout collection, opt-in links, and keyword replies. Create automated flows that capture zero-party data from subscribers. Then, use it to send personalized texts and have one-to-one conversations at scale. Manage incoming messages that need immediate responses and reply within PostScript or your help desk of choice. Drive more purchases by leveraging our team to step into live sales conversations. With PostScript, you create deeper relationships with your customers, so they feel like they're texting with a friend. Develop relationships, deliver experiences, and drive results. Make SMS your number one revenue channel with PostScript. Over time, what we've gotten to, and we're still not perfect at it, is... uh, We've really, and this didn't come early. Sure. Didn't come, this did not come early. Early on, we, you know, had quarterly revenue goals. Yep. Right. But now we are super focused when it comes to our mission, our strategy, and our positioning. Oh, I love and that. All of those are one to three bullets. Like the whole company could tell you what they are. I Along love... with the whole company could tell you like what our values are. And when we do a quarterly kickoff, that mission, strategy, positioning slide is in there like 10 times. I love that. Like, we're going to bring it up in the board meeting that we have next week. Like, that anchors us. And then, in addition to that, we have a top-line revenue goal per quarter and per year. Yep. And then each of the core teams have their contributing goal on the the business side, right? So under me, so marketing has their opportunity commit. Yep. They also have an install goal, but that's more just kind of our space. The sales team has their bookings number and... They also have a revenue number that we track, but we mostly anchor towards bookings. And this customer success organization has an NDR number. Yep. And those three roll together into the revenue number. And like, that's perfect. We track that quarter over quarter. It's it's relatively simple. Everyone can understand that and distill that. And it's easy to track. The one thing underneath that, that we could still tighten up a little bit is like tracking the strategic priorities of each department per quarter. Fair. Right. And we, so we don't really have the whole like giant objectives ladder thing. I think we do a little bit tighter of a job. It it varies by department, but we do a pretty good job of that. And the other thing that we do is as a company over time, we've just 
slowly learned through like scars yeah the premium on focus yeah and so man it's so well put right now this this year postscript has two priorities all of postscript has two priorities every single person at the company could tell you what they are because we never shut up about them we track and report out on how they're going amazing and that and each of them has an executive owner one is owned by mike another's owned by colin my co-founder and like that's what postscript is focused on this year are these two things and there's goals associated and like we say no to doing a lot of stuff that seems really valuable or is cool because it isn't connected to those two things so that's kind of like how we run the business today and on the comm side like you were saying um i think we have a pretty unconventional hr department yep and it's one of the things that i'm most proud kinda of like um, oxymoron though right yeah it's true it's <laughs> like true but we uh it's really because the woman who leads it, her name is Jen Rains Loring. Uh, she's been with Postscript since early on, probably 20-ish or so. And she is not a traditional HR person. She's been like COO of a bunch of companies. She's an operator. She got into HR later on. She loves it. Harvard Business Grad, she's dangerous. And she believes that HR should be a value creation center for a company. And so they do great people work and HR work, but they also do things like they own centralized com company communications. Oh, they are like that's a brilliant and idea. They do a tight job of like that's such a good idea. Ensuring like the executive team has updates, our leadership organization has updates, all people managers, the rest of the company. They run our all hands like a like a Swiss watch switch Swiss watch. They run our quarterly kickoffs and retrospectives. And we built up these cadences over time where like they partner with the different departments and the different like finance organizations to pull numbers. That is interesting. And they too. assemble people and it just has us running like really really that's tightly. a really interesting take yeah that's something that um wow that's a really interesting take i really like that take a lot um are you guys slack or like how do you guys comms we live in slack yes yeah, we don't we don't really do any internal email at Love all that oh neither do we people get promoted via email so it's yeah. officially documented yeah that's it we that's live it. in slack yeah no i love slack it's especially now that there's those little segments that you can build and stuff and, we yeah, can do, yeah. do all that stuff i'm a big slack guy too um, I really like that though. That's a really, cause that was also the other thing was those updates are so important. One of the things that I was telling, uh, my directs when I was still running the marketing was one of the most important skills, especially because I work so close to AJ and Max and even I had no clue what was going on because there's just so many things going on. Being able to wrap your story, your story of success in data and brag on yourself and it's so important like because people like you know everybody has their own world but being able to like post little wins or, like here's what we're doing here's what it's so important man and i think that that's something that it's awkward for a lot of people to like, either brag on themselves or narrative build a little bit and i think it's a really important especially too if you aspire to be in leadership because that's essentially the the other thing as you start to get higher and higher up it's like how can you tell the story in such a way that you know, obviously you don't want to manipulate anything, sure. but there, there needs to be like, here's the takeaway or here's what the bet was or the hypothesis. Here's how it landed. Here's what we're going to do. And and I'll tell you, you know, like as someone who is often, especially in our own environment, there's so much going on that I don't see. So right? much. There's so much going on I don't see. But when people do, you know, take the initiative to like proactively share an update with me, over and there's normal reporting going on so yeah. I, don't, I don't need it but someone's like hey alex i thought you might like like to see this win we had or this lesson i had or like hey alex here was a loss we took but a lesson we learned it can Boom. be really bad too 
I don't take it as them, if it's earnest and grounded, I don't take it as them bragging at all because I'm just so excited to see Postscript as an organization learning and growing. And so like, so I think that is a good career building muscle to have is like, you know, I wouldn't even call it self-promotion. I would call it just like sharing your work. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's a good muscle. No, that's so well put. I had a really great boss. I used to work at Whole Foods. And he had a great line that's always stuck with me where he said, if I have to ask you how something's doing, you're not communicating enough. I thought that was just a really good way to articulate that where it's like you want to make sure because that's the other thing, too, as you get into leadership, like there's a certain aspect of rallying the troops, right? Like totally. you, you don't work in a silo and it's like, hey, here's the strategic initiatives. Here's how they're going to support your departments as well. This is why they're going to be so awesome. Is everybody cool? Like, can I have the money or no? Yeah. Or like, what's <laughs> going on here? Because you it starts to get into a resource pitch, like, and not in a good way or a bad way, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, the founders drive the boat, and they want to know what's going to happen, how they want the capital deployed, and there has to be, you know, you you have your board meeting in, in a few days, like, you guys aren't operating in a silo, you know what I mean? Like, you guys have bosses, too, and, like, so I, I have this, and it'll be interesting how you're here, Tech, I have this theory, if you're not the founder or the owner of the business, the only thing that I think people care about, and I don't think it's, I don't mean this in like a mean, weird way, but it's just making their boss happy. What do you think about that thesis? You think the only thing people care about is making their boss happy? If you're not the owner if, or right, the founder right, right, right. where you have these macro level things where if you roll up to somebody, because that's ultimately who decides your fate. And so if they're happy with the rest of the company, hatred doesn't really matter. Or that's my thesis is like, as, as long as there's one person happy and it's your boss, like you're doing a good job. I'm going to abstain from that one just because I've now been in the founder role for five years that I yeah. feel like I've like, I have these moments from time to time where um, I just, I don't know, I show up at work. I like everyone at PostScript. Yeah. I really yeah. like what we do. Yeah. I, I come in pretty positively and yeah. upbeat. Um, and this may come off as a little entitled, but like sometimes I'm aware that I like lose track a little bit that like not everyone has my experience or like not everyone has my, my like upside or commitment to the business and they yep. shouldn't by the way sure um none, none none of them should i don't expect that at all but like it's easy for me to default to just like assuming that everyone will be as exciting excited yes. and committed as me Very and that's well like put. not the, not the case so um i don't know it's it's hard for me to put those that's fair. to put those shoes on no that's fair i to your point i don't think this is even a vector of excitement it's just too long didn't read if your boss is happy your life is going to be better yes. than if you are quote unquote performing and your boss is not happy. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. You roll up. You, and again, this is kind of some of the things that I learned in the C-suite of stuff is like, as you start to get into leadership and everybody's kind of moving and jiving, like there's politics at play. And so you, again, you really want to make sure that everything that you're doing, which is really nice to your point of like, when you have priorities, decisions are easy. And so it's like, is this going to push this or this forward? How and at what magnitude and what's it going to cost us? Yes, no. Okay, boom. And then go or yes. And then build the strategy, build the tactics, farm out those tactics, get it done. But um, no, I love that, man. That's beautiful. I really like the everybody being on the same page because I think that's that's also how you keep the excitement. That's the other thing that I learned in leadership was culture morale. Oh, my God. It was such a like bullshit. Like, this is what HR people make their money from or whatever. Dude, it so matters. Having everybody rowing the same way, excited, being able to, like, we had a few little kind of, like, uh, P 
PR cases of like, how do we handle this? How do we handle that? One of them happened on Shabbos where I couldn't talk to the leadership team because AJ and Max are totally offline. So sure. it was like having to get that done and being able, I think, to your point of like candidly communicating with the company in a meaningful way is something that it it can't be understated. It goes so far because to your point, you kind of get into like almost like, and again, not to gas you up, but like a celebrity style role with newer employees because they haven't, they weren't here in the, right. you know, the crack days yeah, of where the, we're all drinking coffee, packing up the first pack no, and sending the, it the, out. The power dynamics are, are pretty dramatic. Yeah. And so like just being able to, as a leader, you know, reach out to your directs and be like, hey, you're doing a good job or hey, maybe this is an opportunity to grow. It, it matters a lot. And that was some things that I really, uh, not took for granted, but didn't realize the importance of early on because, it, man, team morale, like, it's kind of almost, there's so many le- weird parallels to, like, an army or, like, a military and a company sometimes. Like, not, there, not all of them, is. but, like. And I know people don't love that. They don't, but, hey, I know, I get, I get on it for it, too. Yeah, it, it, it does feel like there is. And, like, when I think about, um, a, like, well-bonded team and a team with high morale, it's a team that is uh, resilient. Yep. Right. And like in any industry, whether it's SaaS or e-commerce or something else, like what's inevitable are the ups and downs. And like that is what's inevitable for anyone. No one had easy street the whole time. Um, and but of like resilient organization is such a meaningful thing to be a part of. And uh, yeah, that's probably probably my like favorite part of my job is when. I get to like meet or speak with and I see it postscript um, who's like showcasing resiliency yep. in their work. Like that is super cool and very inspiring for me. Very inspiring. I see individual contributor for everybody listening. Yes. We're doing a little corporate speak yeah, over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting into it. Um, <laughs> no, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, let's get into some highlights and lowlights. What's, what's been kind of some of the, the bigger, like, this is amazing. Oh, what are some of the, man, that was a, that was a very big opportunity to grow. Yeah. Uh, okay. So an opportunity to grow for me early on was that I, when we started PostScript, my default was to react to things out of my control from a place of fear. Um, one of our core values is fearlessness. I was not being fearless. Uh, and that was something that like Adam and Colin, they like gave me feedback on early on. Um, it took some like work on my part, but I think I've like gotten dramatically better at it where something would happen, you know, we'd, we'd hear an announcement about a competitor or something right. and you just immediately freak out Verse, now you just kind of shrug. And um, we were talking before, right? Like uh, both our spaces are competitive. Like SMS is an extremely competitive space and our two main competitors are both gigantic, very, very well-funded companies. Yep. Um, and PostScript has like persevered and beaten out a lot of other small players. And really now there's three big players in SMS and, yep. and we're one of them. And um, that takes me to like my next kind of high and low, which is both a high and a low, which has been competition. Yeah. Like in the early days, I think that we felt beat up on at times by competition, especially competition that was much better funded. Um, and, you know, they would maybe engage in tactics that like, we wouldn't and and it would and it would work for we, them we have but same same but different yeah but um but now now our thinking has totally changed now it's a highlight so now what i think about competition colin was the first one to say this uh 
Colin is. It, Colin doesn't do interviews. Colin's not out in the public looking at him. Colin's kind of our Yoda. There you go. Um, and Colin is convinced that despite the huge challenges we've had with competition from yeah. uh, from Tatum and Clavio over time, um, that like postscript is way bigger than it would be if neither of them existed. That's fair because they've pushed us and we've had to push them and like through that competition postscript has had to get so much better so much faster That's a really good point and we've had to work so much harder and get so much better as founders and the team has had to get so much better and work so much harder and like the level of excellence required to win in this market is high and so like i think that's super cool and like now i love the competition especially because like it feels like the market has started to um and the e-commerce community has started to like just like acknowledge and appreciate how Postscript does business and like kind of shine a light on some of the things that some of our competitors do in a negative way. And so, I mean, the last six months of Postscript, we haven't really spoken about this. The last six months of Postscript has been like an incredible momentum building period. Like the like signature brands who've like left these major players and moved their SMS businesses to Postscript or just starting SMS, but decide to come to Postscript. It's been like our best six months ever, not even close. And, um, which is incredible when you think of the market headwinds too. Totally. It's incredible. And I mean, that's a testament to the team, but like, it's also goes back to your question of like the highlight and low light. Like, uh, I'll, I'll wrap this, I'll wrap this story here, which is, um, at our quarterly kickoff events, we have an investor or an early advisor of ours come and just give a talk and some interesting people have come. Um, Adam Bain came to one who was the CRO and president of Twitter. He, he invested in us. Um, a lot of really interesting operators and, uh, to this one last week, a guy named Tim Brady came and did a Q&A with us. And Tim Brady was our partner at Y Combinator. Okay. No one really knows who Tim Brady is, but Tim Brady's a legend. Tim Brady was the first employee at Yahoo. Oh, wow. And then he was there for like 10 years. Oh, and was wow. their chief product officer, launched a million things and a thousand people under him. Like Tim Brady helped create the internet. Yeah. Right? And, um, you know, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo News, all this stuff. And uh, he was talking about our space because he, he picked us to join Y Combinator. He like gave us the nod and uh he was saying how he's like you know i knew that what you all were doing would be valuable to customers Mm -hmm. i also knew that it didn't really seem like it would be super defensible right like you guys would have competition but sometimes you just have to like pick a team that you believe is going to compete and win yeah he's like and that's what i saw you guys and that meant a ton i hadn't heard him tell say that story before and that got me so fired up and like that's one thing i really am loving about postscript right now is we are in a competitive mindset. We are like ready to take on the world. And uh, and so that's been competition to the highlight and the low light. Now, I think that's a really interesting take because one, this is going to come off probably callous, but it's so unifying to have an enemy. It, that it was as I said, a jobs thing where it's uh-huh. like, who, who are we going to hate and like go after and like, you know, like not in like a malicious way, but it's no, like, but that's in a, the in a, they're who we have in picture business, in the it's they're who we have to be better than. Yes. Right. Like in, in our space, it's less of like a take them on directly and more of like, a, okay, if someone's buying triple whale or if someone's considering buying postscript, it's like, you need to have the best feature set, yep. the best team yep. and probably the best like strategy that you're articulating for how to use the product. And so like, okay, great. We got to go check those three boxes. That's not going to be easy. Yep. It's so cool. But what I love your take on it is because of that anxiety and fear comment, 
you're still operating kind of with this competition mindset, but it's in an abundance mindset now, not yes. a scarcity mindset. Yes. When you get in a scarcity mindset, it gets into weird places. And to be fair, I don't think a scarcity mindset is bad. It's just not a place for a growth company. Like it's, it's, you're either turning something around where you need to cut off some fat or you're growing into an austerity measure, a P&E just acquired you and you just, your P&L sure. needs to get in a, in a much better place. I don't think scarcity really has a place in a, in a high growth company. Like it has to be like, guys, how are we going to grow, grow, grow? And that doesn't mean like just spraying the money gun. I don't mean it by that. It's just kind of the mentality that you articulated of like, Hey, how are we going to get better? Like, okay, that, that was good. That wasn't good. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it, it, it sounds a little bit semantics, but I think it's it's so interesting because the other thing is when you're in a scarcity mindset, every loss feels like a failure. And you just said it and I felt it like no matter how much success you see, there's so many troughs within those peaks. Oh, yeah. And to your point of the resiliency, like you, there's a, a great Bezos line where he says uh, differentiation is survival. And you're just like, oh, I get it. Like if you can you outlast these people like it, it yep. works and it's just this perfect mix of culture aggression but in a good way competition abundance like i really love what you guys are building man and in a weird way i think the market like even if you do take quote unquote second place like it's still a hell of a business you're still gonna print a ton of money not that you that's guys a hell of a business. We're that's, not, we're not that's not second. where you guys are going for but that's what i guess what i'm trying to say is like for that investor betting on you it's like hey here's a big pool of money because some of the challenges sometimes when you get into a business is like even if we won the game like would we be happy right and i i think that the outcome-based mindset the answer is is no right um which is like goes back to like you have to be enjoying the process you you like have to be enjoying the process because there isn't a magic door behind which is happiness no there isn't and to your point of like growth, 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 and like you're in these different stages, even when you hit like the mile markers that are incredible, like we're doing mm -hmm. 20% month over month, yeah. like just, just bananas numbers. I got caught in not being in the present and not that you can live there, especially as a leader, like you need to be figuring out, okay, cool, chess, five, six moves ahead. But I did not do a good job of celebrating and like taking a moment just be like hey man what we're doing here is really incredible that that's my biggest regret where it's like we did so much crazy cool stuff that well yeah kind of because uh, you know like that that it your, needed your to be, team would still want to celebrate with you oh of course yeah, yeah yeah but it needed to be in the moment you know what i mean it needed to be like hey man this is really awesome and again like it's not that we didn't quote unquote celebrate but i think for me it was more so i was doing so many cool things and i was doing so much that um i really got out of the present moment and that was something that i really regret because we did do so much incredible stuff so like for any of you aspiring entrepreneurs out there stop and you know look at the scenery every now and then i'm not saying totally. you need to stop the stop the car forever but it, it is pretty cool to like chill out and like hey you know take a day of the month or whatever and just celebrate your wins because it they're not always wins and that helps out to kind of feed the morale but it also to your point, like that makes it more sustainable because it makes it more pleasurable when you're always winning, but not celebrating the win. It yeah. doesn't feel like a win. Right? It's funny. Cause also like to those out there who aren't celebrating the wins, you're not alone. Yeah. Right? Like our, uh, 
uh, we've worked, we've worked sometimes with a, me and Adam McCollum, we've worked with a, with an exec coach. Yeah. And he just, he gives us so much yeah. over not celebrating the wins. Number one like, thing you guys just you. crossed this enormous milestone. 1% of companies do that. Did you, did you celebrate? And we're like, well, no, cause we see, we're worried about this other yeah, thing. Yeah, we're trying to get yeah, to a yeah. hundred million now. Hold on, hold on. When we get there and you can always kick it down the road, but, um, no, yeah, is. there's just True. something that's super important that, um, okay, let's get into some rapid fire. Let's do it. What is the nicest thing someone has done for you? This is the precursor to the rapid fire. I always oh stun people with this question. Oh my. It's the nicest up. thing anyone's ever done for me. Yeah. A little look into that beautiful soul. I'm 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 definitely blessed in this sense. I'll just go like a very specific thing isn't coming to mind. So what I'll say is that um the pontification is off the charts over here, folks. Kind of broadly speaking. Uh, my dad yeah. is my best friend. Love that. And he's also my like business mentor. Um, and he's had a good career, but he's not, you know, a, a like rel- wealthy magnet. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Of, money of, kind of any kind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nothing like that. Um, his like unwavering support of uh, uh, me and his like unwavering conviction in me no matter where I'm at in the yeah. like peak trough cycle that we were, that we were referencing, um, has done more to lift me up than, than anything beautiful. else I can think of. That's Whether so it was like the true trough of like, you know, when I was a dropout to like now dealing with things, you know, far beyond my experience level. Um, and that support has been like consistent and steady forever. And I'm deeply grateful for it. That's beautiful. Papa Bella. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, TikTok overrated, underrated. Overrated. Overrated. Ooh, I like it. YouTube underrated. Underrated. YouTube's underrated. YouTube's so underrated. Yeah. I would argue, all things being equal, I think a YouTube subscriber is probably like the most valuable subscriber. It's worth so much more. So much more than a TikTok, uh, Instagram follower, et cetera, et cetera. Um, How do you see the next couple of years of D2C for e commerce shaping out? Do you think there's going to be like some recession on the headwinds? Do you think it's going to hit D2C? Like, what's your thoughts? No. I have an optimistic outlook, okay, but it's not like universalist. Sure. So I think that it's probably harder now to be an entrepreneur starting out, especially an entrepreneur starting out without a ton of resourcing, access to capital, yep. et cetera. I think that three years ago, you could start a brand from scratch and just like get off the ground. Um, I think it's much harder to do that now. You know, there'll be successful examples of it for sure. But I also think that a lot of the like legacy or established brands are in a place to continue winning and to continue branching out and diversifying. So, and when I've reviewed the data that I've access to, you know, we see some customers struggling with headwinds or the market or the economy or CPMs, of course, but there is not like a widespread pullback that we are seeing. And in fact, we're seeing a lot of folks continue to grow. No, that's exactly what we're seeing. To your point, though, I do think the barriers to entry into the market are way more challenging now, especially if you're trying to build your business on the back of paid. I think that 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 era is gone. Yep. However, I do think that community, I think there's going to be this content to commerce and content or community to commerce kind of plays. I think those are that's my two big theses for 2023. I think there's going to be a big abundance of either paid communities or people integrating community into their product even more. 
um, which is going to boost retention, repurchase, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the content to commerce play is really what's happening. I think, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, I would much rather master the content algorithm right now than the paid algorithm. So when you say content to commerce, are you talking about like, you know, a perfect, mini katana? Perfect, perfect example. example right? I, Organ- Isaac, organic reach that the Tyler at, yeah, uh, yeah. Peach Babies doing okay. some crazy stuff. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Chris Hall, he runs uh, Bruce Bolt. They make yeah, like yeah, these yeah. fancy batting I know, gloves. I know Chris. Yeah, I like Chris, Chris a lot. Best voice uh, of D to C. Give me that so, voice. Okay. Uh, the this this can we riff on this for a second? Time. So, I when I worked at that company, Stack Commerce, what they did is they partnered with blogs. This yeah. was in like 2011. And they built them white-labeled e-commerce stores that sell what they write about. Yep. So, like, they partnered with Mashable. Yep. We got a bunch of traffic, and they built the Mashable store, and they sell tech products. And that was, like, early content and commerce, right? That yes. was before the reach of social when it was, like, blog reach. And it was essentially affiliate. And I'm, like, so bullish on that model, and I love that model. And I love all the different incarnations of it. I love watching celebs go direct to consumer to monetize their following. I love watching Ridge by EDC. Everyday Carrier, one of the best. That guy's a killer, man. Sean's a killer. And Sean's a killer. And so, like, I think, I totally agree. I think that organic content is underutilized. I don't think everyone can build those businesses. I don't think I could build an organic content business. But I think it's incredibly cool. That's a fair play. I don't think everybody can do it. But I think if you can do it, or, again, if you can align with somebody, like, uh, again, bring it out, the Bruce Bolts. And they found this uh, just random TikToker that's basically just like about getting jacked and hitting homers. And like his TikTok just blew up. And then they basically like seed these products in there. And so they have this like nice yes. little deal with them where it's like he has all this distribution and then he gets a little sauce and then the products on the back end. So I don't know. I'm just super bullish on it just because, again, I think paid is incredible. But paid is, uh, again, I'll, I say this all the time, but paid's more of a fuel on the fire. And so I think a lot of people start out too early and then they basically extinguish the the kindling that they have with that fuel. Um, but no, I, 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 I'm just bullish. I think content to commerce and paid communities are going to be, um, I think they're going to be the 2023 thing, especially too, because the information space is getting so crowded. Yep. You have AI in here, you have that. I also too, uh, totally agree with you to your point of, uh, we're seeing a lot of growth because I do think, especially with the proliferation, proliferation of AI, tangible stuff's actually going to become more in vogue yeah where people are going to want like things again versus like because you know did the ai make it this like no this is good old-fashioned human sweat that made this and i think that that's there's still a lot of a lot of uh thirst out there for that let me tell you this about the ai thing hit me there's going to be a bunch of sms companies shipping a whole bunch of really really bad ai features they're just gonna stick chat they're they're gonna stick gbt inside their product to do back and forth and to write content and it's going to be unrefined and it's going to be premature and it's going to be really bad and I can't wait. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be pretty terrible and there's not, I can't think of a worse channel to mess up on than SMS. It's so intimate that you really want to nail your communications there. You don't want to really be, well, it'd be beautiful. Creative destruction, baby. Uh, favorite place to travel to and why? Egypt. I've never been anywhere like it. Okay. Um, Cairo or where whereabouts? Uh, Cairo and, and roundabout okay. yeah. down the Nile, the, yeah. the classic thing. Um, I've never been anywhere like that. Uh, favorite place I've traveled though is Greece. Yeah, I Islands, really like Greece. the mainland. Where at? Both. Okay. Yeah, I like the. Uh, it's the food is. I like Mediterranean diet. 
it's cheap. Yep. People are interesting. Uh, I like the vibe, but I also like what constitutes like culture there. Yeah. Where like they're going to sit in this family restaurant and like sing folk songs and smoke some cigarettes until like 3 a.m. on a Saturday night. And like that's just, and just talk. And that's a great time. Uh, dude, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's when you get out of the States and you travel, you realize how um, perverted our relationship with like food and meals have become here in yeah. the West. We just sit down, like you get your little TV dinner and you're watching this. My dad remarried a Moroccan woman and uh, we I got to spend a, uh, two weeks in Morocco just going around everywhere. It's the same thing. Like when you eat, dude, it's like this celebration. Everybody's yeah. around and stuff. And there's just this... Uh, I don't know. There's there's something really meaningful to, I think that's something that as entrepreneurs and killers and crushers where it's like stack paper, do all this stuff. Super important, definitely helpful. But I don't know. I think at the end of the day, like this life's about creating deep connections with people you care about. 100%. And when you lose sight of that, you can be, I wanted to be an investment banker. Then I kind of saw what investment bankers were. I was like, oh yeah, I'm 40 <laughs> years old. I'm, you know, I'm paid, but like sure, no social network, no significant other, like all these things that's like, you know, you can get to the mountain at the top with a bunch of gold, but kind of like the Midas touch, if you will. A little Greek mythology plug for you guys. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up on this question. You get to take three people to dinner. So it's a four-person table. You're sitting at the head. Three people, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive. Who's getting the tickets from Alex? Who's getting the invite? Whoa. I got to work on these pauses. These are so... You know, this was a Steve Jobs move as well. Uh. You well, have, you're you're throwing stumpers. Yeah, I gotta. Let's go. This is this is a rapid fire. You, you come in with the heat. Okay. I would take Steve Nash. Ooh. Okay. Random Canadian used to live in Phoenix, so I, I shout out Suns. Like, I, also the Mavericks too. Shout out Suns. Shout oh out Suns. Was that? I would take Steve, Steve Nash. Nash. That was not what you were expecting. What a random. I mean, he seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah, yeah. I would take Steve Nash. So I could talk Suns. Yep. Uh, I would take James Murphy. Who's oh the uh, oh, know he's the front man and the creator of L C D sound system. Oh dude, I love L I I, yeah. I know who James Murphy now that like he's an interesting cat. To, super interesting. Yeah. If you hit yeah. And mm -hmm. his music slaps. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Love L C D. Uh and I don't know if those two would have things to say to each other, but I think they'd find a way. Yeah, they're both New Yorkers. Uh, James it'd, chill. It'd, yeah. It'd be fine. Uh and then I would take Third, I would take my girl, Caitlin. Let's go. Because she would just absolutely destroy me and make fun of me for inviting those two. And so that would just be guilty pleasure, Alex. Alex Dinner. Done deal. Stevie Nash, little LCD, and the lady. I love it. I love it. Dude, this has been amazing. Thank you for stopping in. I know you're super, super busy. You got the on-site. You got the or off-site, I guess. You got the board stuff. It's been awesome, man. Thanks how for can, having me. How can people get more involved with PostScript? How can they follow you? This time's yours. So uh, the way to follow me and reach me is Twitter, ring, at ringmybeller. Let's go. Uh, anyone can also email me, alex at postscript.io. I'm super easy to find. Um, and if you want to learn more about PostScript, shoot us a note, hit us up. Amazing. Some of the best in the business, folks. It is incredible stuff. Go check it out. Go get you some stellar SMS. And can you spill tea yet or no on the, the news? Not yet. Everyone will see soon enough. Soon enough. So there's... There's going to be some new new coming out that's really, really impressive. Cool shit going on. What else we got? Triplewell.com if you want to get the best analytics, business insights, updates. If you had that 
crazy thing with Facebook spending all your money. We would have shot you a nice little anomaly detection. So go get your triple whale, triplewhale.com. And then we have a fantastic newsletter. It goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can subscribe right at triplewhale.com slash whale mail. What else do I got? Oh, we have a, a sister podcast called uh, Adspend with me and Ashvin Mawani. We get all nerdy on tactics. We bring on a DDC operator for the third chair every week. You can check that out uh, on all your podcast subscriptions. And if you would like to see our beautiful faces instead of the auditory nectar, you can just go to youtube.com slash triple whale and get all the podcasts there. Beautiful. Bella, you're the best. Enjoy Austin, man. This is, this is. Thanks for having me. Achievement unlock checkbox. This was fun. All right, folks. Thanks so much for stopping in. We'll see you on the flip. Bye-bye.